You know, it's amazing that whenever you come to him, the Bible says he will no wise cast you out. And he loves you just the way you are. But his love is so great, it doesn't keep you that way. It transforms you, amen? So some of you are probably wondering what's going on with the painting over here. And uh, basically, you'll see at the end of the service, what he's painting is going to go in with the message we're doing today. So before um, I do the message, I want to introduce you to a very special friend. She's going to kind of give you a little sneak preview for tonight. So if you guys will give it up for Teresa McMillan. Come on up. Good morning. I wanted to share my story with you guys just to kind of give you an idea of who will be speaking to you tonight. Um, I was raised in a Catholic church, went to Asheville Catholic. Um, I didn't know Jesus, and not because I was Catholic, but I just never knew him. It was about the donuts at the end of service for me. (laughs) That was all I cared about growing up. And I never read the Bible. I never prayed. And Um, My parents got divorced when I was 14. I began to, well, I left home at 14. I began to date drug dealers. That became my MO. And um, the longest one I had was a cocaine dealer. I started going to clubs, um, you know, just trying drugs, drinking, everything. And I wanted to commit suicide when I was 18. And around the age of 19, people started reaching out to me. They'd give me tracts about Jesus. And one tract got my attention, and it said, "Um, Dear friend, I love you. I miss you. I saw you go to sleep last night. Love Jesus. And God used that tract that somebody, I don't even know who gave it to me, to make me start going to church. And so I was living in downtown Asheville, and I started going to an all-African-American church, and I loved it. There was dancing and singing and woohoo! And um, I still went to the club on Saturday and rolled into church with no conviction, still dating drug dealers, no conviction at all. And I kept getting invited to go to another church, to Biltmore Baptist. And on my first visit there, I went to the college group. And Tim was there. And he was like, can I get your phone number? And I thought, sure. And so he called and he said, it was probably like, how are you? And then the next question was, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I'm a Christian. He said, do you know for sure if you died, if you go to heaven? And I said, yes. He said, why? I said, well, I've been a good person. And Tim shared the gospel with me over the phone that night. I didn't know where to look up the verses. (laughs) Um, I accepted Christ on the phone that night when I was 22. And I actually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm forever thankful that Tim was so bold and shared the gospel with me because my life has been absolutely and radically changed. I read a letter to God that night. It was October 31st, 2000. I have the letter. And I said, I'll be learning and witnessing the rest of my days. So I went from what I was to wanting to be um, an evangelist. And that's definitely what God's gifted me in. And that's what I do is I share the gospel. And I've been to 40 nations. Um, In 2002, I went to a discipleship training school, heard about hearing God's voice, following God's voice. I might get to heaven and God might be like, Teresa, you never heard me right. But... He might say that, 
but I believe we can hear God's voice, and that's how I make my decisions. I ask him what to do, and he tells me where to go. Um, I remember the first person I saw accept Christ. I got to be discipled also by Tim. He would take me on the streets of Asheville um, witnessing, and we saw people come to know Christ. And so I learned from him to boldness. And um, in 2003, I was at a group called Passion. It was about 25,000 college-age kids, and they were all on this field, and we were listening to, like, Beth Moore, John Piper, and people like that. And they said, pray for the nations. And I began to pray, and I saw a vision of all the nations in my mind. And I heard that still small voice say, you will go to every nation. I don't have like a 20-year reach Africa plan. I don't have a plan at all. I just try to trust his voice and follow him. And it's not always been easy. Right after I got the call, my sister died when I was on a mission trip. I was a year in Fiji. She died when she was 19 from a blood clot, and I questioned my calling, and God brought me back and said, no, your calling is to go to all the nations, and so I kept going, and then I was in Iraq in 2010, and my dad committed suicide, and I thought, okay, this, I can't do it anymore, like, I'm just going to go home, because my biggest cost was leaving family, and I didn't rejoice in suffering like Paul says, Paul says rejoice in suffering, I'm like, I don't care, I can't do it, (laughs) But I felt, always felt close to God and that God was with me. And I keep going, and I'll always keep going as long as I obey the Lord. So I did not rejoice in suffering, but tonight I'm going to talk to you guys about last year. I went to 11 countries in 11 months, and I'm going to talk about how I found rejoicing in suffering. God entrusted us with a lot of suffering last year, and I'm here today <laughs> by the grace of God, to share with you how you can rejoice in suffering. and Because following Jesus isn't always easy, as we all know. And when we commit, we make a commitment to follow him, whether good or bad or whatever. So that's tonight. Thank you. Thank you. How do you follow that, right? Forty nations and going all around the world for Jesus. You know, something uh, amazing about Teresa is she just listens for God's voice, and wherever God says go, she goes. And I wish we all had that commitment inside of our hearts, that whatever he says to me, I'll do it. And we serve a God that's living and active, and he speaks to us, and he wants us to follow him. So uh, I praise God for that. look forward to hearing her stories tonight. I don't know about you guys, but it hopefully will inspire all of us and challenge us to to reach our local mission field here in Asheville and beyond. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles. It's going to be chapter 3. And we're going to do a subject that I, I enjoy a lot. It's a subject of marriage. A show of hands, how many of you are married in the house today? Raise your hand, all right. How many of you are single? Raise your hand. All right, you single people looking around, <laughs> keep your hands this plant. <laughs> Speaking of which, I, uh, the suit I'm wearing today I wore for a certain reason. Whenever I met Lori and we had our first date, I wore this exact suit. It was casual Friday, and I tricked her into a date. Some of you have heard the story, but we showed up at a coffee shop. She had her jeans and shirt on, and I, I showed up in a full suit ready. And she's like, what are we doing? I'm like, you'll find out. And I took her on the date. 
And then six months later, we got engaged. Five months later, we got married. And then it's going to be seven years this summer and four kids this October later. And here we are. So one of my one of my favorite topics. Before we get into the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, um, we're excited that we can come before you and we can just listen to your word. And God, as Teresa mentioned, that you speak to us and you are active and you're listening and you speak to your hearts. And Father, I pray that as we study your word today, and it's sometimes it can be very challenging, but we pray that you would show us, for those of us who are single, those of us who are married, what marriage looks like for you. And I pray that as we see this text, that we'll see what a marriage made in heaven looks like. We pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. So today we're going to talk about a marriage made in heaven. For those of you just joining us, we're going verse by verse through 1 Peter. And I was thankful that we're in chapter 3 because the previous chapters we've talked a lot about suffering and this world you have troubles. And I'm like, thank the Lord, we're on a lighter topic of marriage. But how many of you know marriage sometimes is not always easy? Many of you growing up have heard you need to have a good work ethic. I think we all need a good marital work ethic. And sometimes marriage is spelled W-O-R-K, work. Because you've got to work at your, you got to work at your marriage. You got to keep the embers alive. And if you don't, it can be challenging. For those of you who are single and students here, before you check out, let me give you a story that will apply to you. True story. Uh, Chuck Swindoll was talking about he was speaking at Moody Bible Institute, and uh, he was talking about getting married. I guess trying to inspire them when they get married. What what it's like to look to be a godly husband, a godly wife. And this lady sent him a, a letter in the mail saying, "Listen." I've trusted God all my life for sending me the godly husband, and here's what I've done. And the story amazed him so much. She said, every night before I go to bed, I have a pair of men's jeans hanging by my bed. And I pray every night that one day God would send me a man to fill those jeans. So Chuck Swindoll, he's like, the story made no connection with my sermon, but I gave it anyways to his church at the time. He was pastoring in California. And he looked out at the audience, and there was this this dad and his older son that was sitting there and he was watching their faces and the dad was laughing at the story and the son had this serious look on his face. So Mr. Swindoll said a few weeks later he got a uh, a message from the mom who wasn't present at the service and she said, I don't know if I should, should be concerned or not, but my teenage son, every night before he goes to bed, he has a bikini by his bed <laughs> praying over it. <laughs> so that, that was for you singles there. I don't... I don't know if it'll work, but hey, if it helps you with your faith. So today we're going to talk about marriage. And sometimes you think about a marriage made in heaven, it's not always what you think it'll be. I can remember my first year of marriage. Uh, Let me back up before I tell you the first year. We went on our honeymoon, and we're like, let's go to Aruba. You know, you guys know the Beach Boys songs. I'm not going to try to sing it. But we thought Aruba's a tropical destination. Never been there. Heard it's great. Heard the water's green. See through. Let's do it. So we, we flew to Aruba, and in line, we had to go through immigrations, and it was like an hour later, and we're like all wore out, and we're just like, I thought this was going to be paradise. Here we are in immigration, make, making sure we're not go, coming illegally, and we're like, okay, we're out of there. So now we check in our hotel. We got this nice hotel suite, so we thought. Um, the, they had this nice jacuzzi jet bathtub, and it had bugs in it. And I'm like, I mean, what a way to kill a honeymoon, Right. And that night, I didn't realize this, but Aruba is a party place. So all night long, there are people partying outside the hotel. And I'm like, I mean, 
I can't, I'm, I'm so tired, jet lag, and, you know, so we go the next day and, like, we got to get out of here because this, this place, I mean, we got to get out of this hotel because it's party scene. So we try to go to the next place. And breakfast in Aruba, and look at this. Our first meal in Aruba was $50 for breakfast. It was like eggs and bacon. I'm just like, $50 in Asheville will get you a filet mignon. I mean, like, what, what is the deal? So we thought it was going to be paradise, but it was great. And we had a, we had a lot of good memories. Um, one, we went horseback riding. And um, it seemed really fun. Do I look a little younger there or do I still look the same? I haven't figured that out. But we went horseback riding. But I got the wild, crazy horse that had the crazy eyes. And it, it just... It just ran crazy, and I'm just like, I thought this was going to be a nice romantic horse. I heard it, you know, horseback ride on the beach in the setting sun. All the ladies found that romantic, right? Not when you got the stallion that's going out of control. <laughs> to make matters worse, um, we got sunburned after like day two. So you're at the beach and you're sunburned. I mean, <laughs> what is there to do? So I remember our last day there, we end up watching a movie, which I think is a sin on your honeymoon. You should not go see a movie. on. I mean, you're in Aruba and you're in a movie theater. That makes no sense. So when we started, we were thinking, okay, this is great. So we were glad to come back to Asheville because, I mean, all these things happened. It was a great honeymoon, but challenges along the way. And I think that's indicative of life. When you say, I do, a lot of singles don't realize this. And if you're single getting married, this is a little tip. Your first year of marriage is what, married folks? The hardest year, right? How many of you would say your first year was the hardest? Okay, the rest of you are lying, right? <laughs> so it, it was the hardest. So Lori and I, we, we come from totally different backgrounds, and we were in the process of becoming one. And we got past the first year of marriage, and each year has gotten better and better, and I, I'm thankful. So if you're getting married, just be forewarned your first year. Once you say, I do, it's going to be W-O-R-K, right? It's going to be challenging. So having said that, let's jump into the text. You're like, man, I'm just trying to be real with you guys. A lot of times people say marriage is a 50-50 proposition. Well, if you have that mentality, you're on the road to divorce. Marriage is 100% from both sides. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a what? It's a covenant. For better or for worse. All right, you guys ready to jump in the text? Starting in verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise... Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word. Now, this is interesting. Talking about what if you're married to someone, you know, you became a Christian along the way, and your husband's not a Christian, your husband doesn't want to go to church, what do you do? It says, even if they don't obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Look at verse 3. It says... Do not let your adornment be merely outward. So in other words, your physical appearance, your beauty should not simply be skin deep. It shouldn't be surface level. And it gives some example, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, putting on fine apparel. Now this is not saying women can't get dressed up, mind you. This is kind of the background is women in this culture, sometimes there would be a competition who could get dolled up the best. So when you went to church, it was like a, a runway show, you know, women... Look who looks the best this week. And he's like, listen, it's not about that. Wouldn't that be crazy A First Baptist if everyone is trying to get dolled up more than the other? That'd be crazy, wouldn't it? I Believe it or not, some churches. All right. So it says, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. 
For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him her Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And we're going to break that apart in a little bit, but basically, in essence, he's saying, true beauty comes from within, not from without. Because outward beauty, it fades as you grow. But inward beauty can grow more and more beautiful as you grow in the Lord. Amen. Verse 7 says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Ouch. You ever heard people say, I can't figure women out? Well, you don't have an excuse now. It says you've got to at least try with understanding. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. Now, it's talking about physical now. That's the only thing it's talking about. And as being heirs together of the grace of God, or the grace of life, that your prayers and that may not be hindered. Now, a lot of people are saying, wait a second, six verses for the, for the women, only one verse for the man. Isn't that unfair? Well, keep in mind, you notice in the earlier scripture, he said some of the husbands were unbelievers. So, some of these marriages, the wives were married, they, they came, became believers and their husbands were unbelievers. But here again, there are some husbands who are believers, and God is trying to shoot point blank to the husbands. They're just as responsible as the wives. So wives, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with the men first instead of the ladies, right? So here's a marriage made in heaven. The first thing, and you can follow along in your outline, is it begins with the husband attempting to understand and honor his wife. Attempting to understand and honor his wife. So I'm going to start with the men, and then I'm going to work backwards to the women. I heard about this chief in Africa, and he was really concerned that the men in his village were not being true leaders. So he called all the men into his hut, which was in the center of the village, and he said, I want you guys to be honest with me. If you feel like your wives are leading the show and you are just doing whatever your wife said, I want you to exit my hut through the right door. But if you guys feel like you're leading your household, I want you to exit through the left door. And he dismissed all the guys, and every guy went through the right door except for one. And he had the sheepish look on his face. He didn't really know what to do, and he finally went through the left door. So the chief called all the men of his tribe together in this African village, and he said, listen, this lone wolf over here is a true man who's leading his household. I mean, look at him. He's leading his household, doing all this, and he said, listen, I want you guys to listen up. What is your secret for being the leader of your household? And the guy kind of didn't know what to say, but he said, well, my wife this morning told me never to follow the crowd. So a lot of times we get this misunderstood, guys. We think that we're leading, but we're really not. So let's look in the scripture here. There's four ways to make your wife smile. Because if you've got a happy wife, you have a happy life. Okay. So if you're sitting next to your husband, elbow him. Make sure he's listening. He's not looking at the score on ESPN. The game's not till 8 o'clock tonight, so you can tune back in. All right. So the first one is this. Learn how to live together in peace. Notice the scripture says, dwell with them, dwell with them. Isn't it a challenge to learn to live together? Whenever two people are getting married, and by the way, if there's anyone getting married here, this is a good premarital talk, so uh, you can thank me later. Um, whenever you're learning to live together, it's a challenge, because there's really no manual on how to, how to get, get along the first week of marriage. After you get back from your honeymoon, how do you communicate? Finances, what are you going to do? I mean, you have to go through a lot of challenges. So the scripture says, men, learn how to dwell with your wives. 
I heard a story of this husband that wanted to impress his wife and just tell her how much he really loved her. So before he came home from work, he took a shower, he shaved, he put on his fancy cologne that he never wore, wore except on his special occasions, and he brought this beautiful bouquet of flowers. So he shows up, and instead of going in the house, he knocks on the door. And his lovely wife opens the door, and she's like, Honey, this has just been the worst day of my life. And he's like, What's going on? You know, he's thinking in my mind, I showered, I shaved, I'm wearing cologne, I got flowers. She's supposed to say, Wow, right? And she said, Listen, Johnny had to go to the hospital and get stitches today. Your mother called, and she's coming over for two weeks to stay with us. The wash machine broke down, and now you are showing up home drunk. So, us men, sometimes we don't get it when it says dwell with your wives. I mean, we're, we're trying our best, but it can be a challenge. So, the first point under that is to really learn how to live together in peace. The second one is this, know her inside and out. Notice on that scripture verse, verse 7, it says, with understanding. Have you guys ever heard a gentleman or man ever say, women, who can figure them out? Anybody ever said that yourself? I've said it out. It's more like this, women, who can figure them out? Raise your hand if you've ever said that as a guy. We've all said it. <laughs> the problem is, now that, I, now that you've read the scripture, it says you're to at least try to figure them out. Right? We, we no longer have that. We throw our hands up. So... What we're to try to do is try to understand your wife. You're to be a student of your wife. You're to try to study her, get to know her. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a few applications a little bit how to do that because you're like, okay, help me out here because I'm struggling. The third thing is, is seek to provide and protect for the family. Seek to provide and protect for the family. Notice it says that she's the weaker vessel. This is saying usually physically men, even if you study science, men typically on, on, on the whole are a lot stronger than women. So, the challenge for us guys is you're to bear the physical load of the household. Are you willing to protect your family? Are you willing to be a provider for your family? Are you willing to bear the load? So many wives struggle under this load because their husbands sometimes, they hand off their load to their wife and say, I can't do it, you do it. So the woman has to carry that load. And that's a challenge. That puts a lot of strain on the marriage. The fourth thing is this. Create a culture where both grace and life flourish in your family. Notice it says, you're heirs together of the grace of life. In other words, you guys are co-equals in marriage. I love what Matthew Henry said one time. It's one of the most beautiful statements about creation. He says, you notice that God created woman not out of man's head so she could rule over him, not out of his foot so he could stomp on her, But God created woman from man's side so they could be co-equals in this grace of life. So she could be under his arm and experience his love. And I'm like, wow, I wish I would have thought of something like that. But it's like we're heirs together of the grace of life. So the Bible says in Christ there's neither male nor female in salvation. When it comes to the kingdom of God, we're on equal playing field. So those are some challenges for the husband. And you either say amen or you say ouch. But these are some things, gentlemen, that we need to work on. So here's some applications. These are not in your notes, but I encourage you to write them down. The first application is this. Be a student of your wife. Be a student of your wife. So, gentlemen, you know, what you need to do is try to get a Ph.D. in your wife. Whatever. I'm, I'm working on getting a Ph.D. in Lori. I'm trying to figure her out, understand her, 
And it's a daily process. And by the way, you ever notice how your wives change a lot? Is it just me? Guys, you notice the men are quiet. They're not wanting to get themselves in trouble today. But women are constantly growing and they're complex. So you can't drop out of the school of your wife. You have to stay in school. You can't be a dropout. Otherwise, you don't want your marriage to drop out, right? You've got to keep on learning and growing and progressing. So here's a, here's a good book to recommend to you guys. It says, What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Them by James Dobson. I see some of the wives already looking up on their phone to order it on Amazon. What Wives Wish Their Husbands Knew About Them. That'd be a good Bible study, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can I get an amen from some of the ladies in the house? All right. Number two, be your wife's talent scout. A lot of times in marriages, women really bemoan the fact that their husband holds them back instead of helping them achieve their God-given destiny, potential, and goals. So marriage, I once had a professor said, marriage will either make you half the person or twice the person. So if you are married to a person that holds you back, you're half of what you could be and should be. But if you marry someone that's pushing forward to what God has for you, you become their talent scout. You guys ever watch certain shows where you have talent scouts in different sports, whatever your favorite sport is, they're trying to find the best talented people? Well, in your spouse, specifically to men, you're to find your wife's best talents and say, I believe in you, baby. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to try to bring that out. And you help your wife achieve what she couldn't achieve alone. The third thing is be the leader of your family. Be willing to take the lead. What a lot of men don't realize, and thankfully I was taught this at a young age, is when you get married, you automatically become a pastor of your household. They don't teach you that a lot in churches, do they? But you are the priest of your household. So part of that is, is when's the last time you had church at your house with your wife? Ouch. Well, the thing about it is men are to lead their wives spiritually. That falls on us. So... I want you guys to think about it. Husbands, the challenge is up to us. And in your notes, I don't know if it's there or not, but right now in Galatians 6, 2 and 5, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then it says in verse 5, Each person shall bear their own load. So whenever you have a load, that's your responsibility. A burden is something above a load that you can't handle. So if you're leading your household, you're to try to help your wife with the burdens that she can't handle. You're to try to make that lighter. And you're trying to help her. And all the ladies said, Amen. And finally, before I move on to the wives, by the way, don't you love this painting over here? You're seeing the sermon in picture form. But there's a challenge for those of you guys who are checking out and saying, well, that may be good for Pastor Timothy, but, you know, I'm not there yet. Well, there is a warning in the text. Does anybody know what it says? That your prayers may not be hindered, right? So here's the thing. If you're not leading your family as you should, and you're not treating your wife like you should, the Bible says God doesn't have to answer your prayers. So backing up, have you noticed lately that your prayers aren't being answered with a yes? I wonder if there's a direct correlation with how you're treating your wife. Just wondering. I've noticed with my own life, if Laura and I are in a tift and unresolved, this will come to my mind. If, unless you resolve this, and for me it's, it's kind of personal because if I'm not right with my wife, how am I going to lead a church, right? So I have to get it right with her so I can, God can listen to my prayers and so that he can lead me. 
And if you have unresolved conflict that keeps on going, it's going to affect your spiritual life. James 5.16 gives us a good warning like this. It says that the, it says, confess your trespasses to one another. And this would be a great application of marriage. And he says, pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So if you're right with your wife, you're right with God, the Bible says your prayers have power. Amen? So if a husband truly loves his wife like Jesus loves the church, she can blossom and flourish beyond his wildest dreams. How are you loving your wife lately? One more example before we move on to the wives. I think there's something called a marriage mirror. And it's like this. Typically, wives are responsive to their husband. And you can, this is something I heard from a seasoned pastor, and I've thought about it through the years, and it really made sense. He said, you can look at a wife, and you can tell how she feels treated by how she carries herself. If she's feeling depressed and always down and negative about her, her life, you've got to look back and see how is the tr- husband treating her. And you see the wives that are, have a little pep in their step. They, they, they try to take good care of themselves. They have this soft-spoken spirit about them. A lot of times the husband is treating them the way he should. So when you look in the marriage mirror, gentlemen, if you look at your wives, you see a reflection of yourself. If you're treating her well, it reflects back to you. If you're not, it reflects. So God help us. All right, to the wives. I spent a lot of time on the men, didn't I? All right, to the wives. A marriage made in heaven, number two flourishes when the wife strives to respect and follow her husband. See, the woman's greatest need is love, and the man's greatest need is what? Respect. And whenever you strive to meet that need, even if they don't deserve it, it's unconditional love and unconditional respect. You go after it. The Lord really helps them. Now, this may help you understand your husband's a little bit. As much as men say, I can't figure out my wife, how many of you ladies sometimes can't figure out your husband? It's like he has his blank stare while he's watching TV, and you're like, what are you thinking, honey? Uh, and it's just like, what are you thinking? How many of you wives deal with that? You mean to, to tell you why that happens? Men are like waffles, and women are like spaghetti. I'll explain. A waffle has different compartments. And these compartments are all separate from one another. Spaghetti, it's all touching each other and interwoven. So when your, guy, when your husband or your boyfriend, whatever the case may be, when you say, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. He's, he's being truthful. Because men can only be in one box at a time, usually speaking. They can't be in multiple boxes. Women, on the other hand, are like spaghetti. You touch a piece of spaghetti, and it's touching all the other pieces of spaghetti. It's intertwined, and it's all jumbled together, so women can multitask. They can talk on the phone, they can cook supper, and they can correct a child all at the same time, whereas your husband, he's still frozen on ESPN, and he just can't shake out of it. So what you've got to learn, ladies, is if your husband's in a box, you've got to help him get out of that box and say, okay, let's pause it, let's get in conversational box. Because men generally can't multitask. Am I right, ladies? All right. So, here's some pointer for the ladies. Four ways to amaze your husband. This will make your husband, like, he feels like he has won the sweepstakes if, if 
their wives will do this. Number one, follow his lead. You know, God has called your husband to be the leader of the household. And submission, a lot of times when we use that word, we think it's a dirty word, but it's actually a very positive word. You guys remember the illustration of the umbrella? And submission is kind of like the word yield. It's like getting under something. So whenever you go outside in the rain and you have an umbrella, when you get under it, it protects you from all the harmful things like the rain coming down on you. So your husband's leadership, when it says submit, it really means just get under his leadership so that you're protected from things that are coming against you. Because God has your husband as the pastor or the shepherd of the household, and he's to protect you. And when you get under his protection, he shields you from a lot of harmful things. So that's kind of a positive thing. And where's Tom over here? Okay, the saying that you were, we're working on is whenever you get under what God has over you, God will raise you above what he has under you. So in other words, if you get under your God-given protection and you learn to yield and follow the leadership, God will lift you above other things he has under you. So I'm going to have to repeat that again another time. Tom's writing it down. So follow his lead. Number two, lead by example, not by exhortation. And this is really hard for ladies because you are so much better than men in communication. And all the guys said, amen. It's like, you know, you can ask your husband, how was your day at work? It was good. You ask your wife, how was your day? And it's like this dialogue with flowery language and events and colors. And he was wearing this and she was doing this. And you're just like, all right, I'm ready to get back in my box over here. You know, it's like women as a whole surpass men in communication. I think most people would agree with that. So when it says, when, when you have an unbelieving husband specifically... It says, win him over without a word. That's a really hard challenge for women because you're so good with words. But notice it's not without the word. So you can win them over by your godly lifestyle, by living the walk, by allowing God to use your example to your husband, especially if your husband's not interested in the things of God. If you begin to live out the things of God, he'll be saying, man, what happened to my wife? She's totally different. You'd be like, well, God's doing it. Jesus is doing it. So that, that's, that's an encouraging challenge. If we just live out the beautiful inner qualities, God will really help us. And I want to give you a quote from uh, Pastor Steve Scoggins. I thought this was beautiful. He says, women need to understand this about their husbands. We run from criticism and toward those who believe in us. We run from criticism and toward those who believe in us. So if you, if you get in a situation where you feel like you want to you know, preach a sermon to your husband and go off, He's going to run away from you. But if you encourage your husband and try to look for the positive things, bring out the best in him, he's going to run towards you. And um, I think it's a challenge, especially when you're so good in communication, just to say, God, I'm going to trust in you in this. I'm going to trust you to work it out. Number three, over the long haul of marriage, your inner beauty will matter more to your husband than your outer beauty. And that's something that's so hard, especially when, when you were younger and you got so, so much affirmation. You notice little girls, and I have two of them, they always say, Daddy, you know, how do I look? Right? And little boys will say, watch this. You ever notice how that continues on throughout their lives? Women are always saying, how does this dress make me look? Oh, you look great. Be careful how you answer that, right? 
But boys, it's even now, it's like I am 34, and even to my kids, I'll say, watch this, and I'll try to jump over some, you know. Men are more task-oriented, and women are more people-oriented, and they want to feel beautiful. So what, what Peter is doing here is really beautiful. He said, listen, it's okay to be beautiful on the outside, but even more important is the beauty of the inside. Because as you grow older, it's hard to be as beautiful on the outside when you're 20 as when you're 90. I mean... I once heard a lady say, she said, I'm more beautiful than I've ever been before. It takes me a lot longer to get there, right? So it's a work of art now. But when your inside is beautiful, when you're 90, you can be so much more beautiful than when you're 20 because you're growing in the Lord. And let's be truthful. Most men, if they were honest, after a long-term relationship, if they had to choose between outward beauty And a woman that's got it going on on the inside. She's quiet and compassionate and tender and loving. And, you know, she doesn't argue with me. Those those things that that people think about, those inner qualities, they would choose the inner qualities above the externals. And all the guys said, amen, right? So, focus on the things that really matter. Many of you know John Wesley, um, famous pastor, back in yonder year. And he had a situation in his life where he was in London, and Paul, being from England, is going to enjoy the story. He was in London, and he was walking over a bridge, and he stumbled, and he sprained his ankle. And this young lady named Mary um, took, took him in, and she was a widow, and she had several kids. And John was so impressed by her hospitality and treatment, he proposed to her right there and said, will you marry me? And she's like, sure. And um, it actually wasn't a good thing. Because according to the story, Mary did not like John's ministry. She didn't like the crummy inns that he had to stay in. She loved the the comfort of her home. And she, according to the story, this is crazy, she got so upset at John on different occasions, she would drag him by the hair of his head through the house. I mean, that's that's pretty bad, right? So eventually, Mary just got tired of it, and she left John Wesley. And I think if, if John would reflect on this, this text, he would say the same, that, listen, inner beauty is far much greater importance than outer beauty. It's, it's the heart that really matters. And finally, conquer your fears and not your husband. Verse 6 is an unusual verse. And it says, look, look back at verse 6 with us. It says that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, it goes back to a story in the Old Testament of Abraham. Now, Abraham did not have it all together. If you read, I believe it's Genesis 20, there's a, a story where he lied and said that Sarah was his sister. You know, they were, they, were, they were related, but he basically didn't say that she was his wife. And you remember what happened to Sarah? She ended up in the palace of the king and was going to eventually be part of his harem. But Sarah, despite Abraham's flaws, still respected and loved her husband. So it gives that as an example. Listen, even if your husband doesn't have it all together, just trust God to work. And you read the story of Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 20. God still worked in spite of her husband. And God brought good even out of a bad situation. So in that text, the end of it, I had to look it up in a few different commentaries. It's so bizarre. It says, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror... Now, one commentary said it like this, and I've never heard it put this way. It says, men's greatest struggle is anger. One of men's greatest struggles is anger. 
One of women's greatest struggles is fears and emotion. Do you guys tend to agree that as a general statement? Men struggle with anger. Women sometimes struggle with fear. So what this text is saying is you've got to trust God even if your husband is an unbeliever, even if he's not following God as he should. Don't let fear cripple you. Don't let fear hold you hostage. But you have to entrust God to work it out for your marriage, for your family. And it's like this. Whenever you do that, all of a sudden a picture emerges. With every stroke of the paintbrush, when colors are mixed together, your marriage may be struggling now, but God can work it out. And you know, marriage is supposed to be a picture of Christ and His love for the church. I wonder if we each took an inventory of our own marriage, marriages for those who are marriage. When people see my spouse and I together, do they get a picture of Christ's love for the church? Or do they see a couple that's always fighting? The uh, story of John Wesley would illustrate. And here's the thing. We don't have it figured out. We're not perfect as couples. But what we've got to do, let's say on a scale of 1 to 10 in your marriage, if you say, I'm a level 4, meaning a 10 is like, I'm a marriage made in heaven, I'm a level 4, well, ask God to help you go to level 5 next week. Make steps towards it. So the good news is if your marriage is struggling, God's going to help you. He enters into that struggle with you and helps you. If your marriage is looking this good right now, next year you may have some struggles. So you have to remind yourself. So the final word to the wives before we wrap it up is, Wives, when you learn to respect your husband and follow his lead, he will be freed up to become the man that you always dreamed. When you elevate your husband, you actually elevate your whole family. So here's the take-home truth. When a man and a woman are committed to God and each other above themselves... They can enjoy a marriage made in heaven. In other words, it's like this. The kingdom of God is inside of you, the Bible says. Eventually the kingdom is going to come. But whenever your marriage is walking in love, you get a little piece of the kingdom now. You get a little picture of Christ's love for the church. So can we talk? Here's some questions that are hard. I had to ask one for my wife. And it's such a hard question. She still hasn't given me the answer yet. Okay. So uh, here's the question I asked my wife last night. What is one thing you wish your husband knew about you? That's a hard question, guys. Oh, you just got to be, guys, you got to get an emotional state for whatever shit. You say, honey, what is one thing, if you, if, if you wish I could know about you, what would it be? And just, just be ready. She, she'll tell you something. Number two, husbands, what is one way your wife can show respect? If that's your greatest need, how can she show it to you? And singles. Here's a good thing for singles, and I laugh because I used to have a list, and some of you probably have a list. What is the top quality you're looking for in a future spouse? How many of you remember when you were single, you had the top ten list or whatever, looking for a mate? I was not the only one that had Some of you had that. And I used to pray over that, and all I can say is my wife surpassed that list. When I married her, she, God is able to do immeasurably more. So I want you to get this picture, and thank you, Aaron, for painting that. Whenever a husband and wife walks in the love for God and for each other, a marriage that is struggling all of a sudden is transformed. And when people see you, they get a picture of Christ's love for the church. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for your word and how powerful it is. God, I know that as a husband, I fall short so many times, so many ways. 
And God, I think all the husbands and wives would say the same. Father, right now, I want to pray over the singles, Lord. I pray for one in here that desires to be married to be married one day and hasn't met the right person. That, God, you would prepare them for what you have prepared for them. That, God, they wouldn't give up or surrender. They wouldn't go for second best, but they would wait for God's best. So, God, give them that perseverance. And, Father, second of all, I pray for all married couples. Lord, I pray for the one whose husband or wife doesn't go to church with them, and it's a struggle. I pray you bring encouragement to them. I pray that they would be able to have church in their homes and that they would be, for those who are husbands, they would be the shepherds in their household and that you would inspire their wives to go to church or their husbands. God, I pray for those who have unbelieving spouses that you would just help the husband or wife not to give up, but to keep praying and keep trusting God to bring about the change. And Father, finally, I pray for those here today there be one here that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that today they would make the decision to say yes to the greatest love of their life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And right now, with no one looking around, would there be anyone say that, Pastor Timothy, you know, I, I know about this Jesus thing, but I've never made the decision to invite Jesus into my life. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins, and today I want to have the greatest relationship which is the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. If there's anyone like that today, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Timothy, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. I pray that you would strengthen our marriages and our families, strengthen those who are students and those who are singles, and help them know the greatest relationship they can have is with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. At this time, we're going to do our final hymn of invitation. And if you guys have anything you want us to pray for you about, Adam and I will be here at the front, and we'd love to welcome you.